Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. There's not a lot of work done documenting the, the loyalist point of view. And, and in fact, this was a you know, family versus family thing, a neighbor versus neighbor thing. Uh, and that's what really interested me the most. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Sullivan talking about a pair of brothers who switched sides during the war. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by West Home Publishing. Publishers of To the End of the World, Nathaniel Green, Charles Cornwallis, and The Race to the Dan by Andrew Waters. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Mark Sullivan giving us a very interesting story that you'd only read here at the Journal of the American Revolution. Mark Sullivan is a career military man. He'll talk about that in his interview. And he is a fine researcher. Sometimes when we're researching stories or topics, we stumble across something that catches our eye, something that works its way into our mind that we just can't forget about. And the story of the Otto brothers is one of those details that uh, was just too good to pass up. The Otto brothers lived in western New York, uh, the Schoharie River Valley to be exact. If you know anything about the New York frontier during the American Revolution, it really changes all the rules of what we think of this war. It was a brutal and terrible civil war. It wasn't a place of battles, but it was a place of raids and kidnappings and incarcerations, brother versus brother in the most literal sense. Really horrible stuff in a lot of ways. But Mark's story is really something, because you have a pair of brothers who embody this violent politics and and the reactions to it and the realities of it more than anyone else that I've seen. They're not big names, the Auto Brothers, but uh, their story is just so revealing about the nature of the war at the time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mark Sullivan. Mark Sullivan, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, sir. It's a, a real honor for me to be part of this uh, this program, sir. Tell us about your background. Um... You know, I, my, my real job, you know, I work for, for the Army. I'm a Department of the Army civilian. I spent 25 years in the military. Uh, but my, my passion for history comes from my dad. Uh, my dad was a high school history teacher for many years. You know, he wrote a couple of books on the history of the World War II. And, uh, you know, I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, right in Schoharie, New York, uh, is where we're from. You know, my dad and I, we always used to talk about history and current events. And uh, that's where my passion from history comes from, is, is from my dad. Uh, 
you know, I grew up kind of during the bicentennial, the American bicentennial, and uh, I lived about five miles from what's called the Old Stone Fort in Schoharie. During the Revolution, it was one of the three forts that were constructed in Schoharie. So that's, and during the bicentennial, we we put together a reenactment group. Uh, we reenacted uh, the militia group that, that was stationed there at the, the lower fort in Schoharie. And uh, the Scary County Historical Society, they published a review uh, twice a year, uh, articles on the history of Schoharie and Schoharie County. And I've been writing articles for that publication for, well, I think my first article was in like in 1980. So I've been writing on the history of Schoharie, you know, ever since that time. So that's that's where, that's where my passion for history comes from and, and some of the stuff I've done in my past, sir. What first drew your interest into this topic? So these these two knuckleheads from Skahari, you know, I've been I've been actually working on this article for article for a long time, sir. Um, I wrote an article almost like in 1990 something about some other Skahari County loyalists of the folks who supported the the king during the revolution, and an ancestor of the Atos wrote me a letter and he was telling me about uh, these two brothers who were loyalists from Schoharie and we corresponded over the years and he gave me some stuff about their history and the history of the loyalists. And then recently I joined a, a loyalist newsletter, you know, an online newsletter and I met some other guys who had done a lot of research on the loyalists in Canada and they gave me some other uh, loyalist documents on the autos. So that's uh, that was like the last piece of the puzzle. And then I finally got serious and I, I sat down and I, I put it all together and, and that's how the, the article came about, sir. Could you give us some background on the Otto family before we begin talking about their exploits? So the Otto family, they're, they're kind of like a well-established uh, family in Skoharie. Probably a German. They came from Germany, probably in the 1750s, maybe. Uh, the father was a Francis Otto, and he's he's described he's described as like a a witch, uh, not a witch, a, a doctor, like a, a kind of a doctor, maybe a witch doctor. He dabbled in a lot of things, um, and medicine, herbal medicine, and roots. He was a barber, a fortune teller. So that's why they, they called him a, a, a kind of a witch doctor. And his two sons, um, born in the 1750s, late 1750s, Gottlieb and Francis, uh, uh, those, those are the two uh, subjects of the article. Uh, in, the early, in the early 20s, at the start of the, of the revolution in 1777, sir. How did the revolution impact Western New York, specifically the Mohawk River Valley and the Skahari River Valley? These folks that lived in Mohawk Valley and the Skahari Valley, you know, their their life changed when the revolution came came about, uh, starting 1775, really, with the siege of Boston. 
in the Mohawk Valley, in the Schenectady Valley, you know, this this was the battlefield. I mean, this is where, you know, there was constant raids almost every year during the Revolution of the British and, ter- and British and the Tories and the Indians through the valleys, uh, destroying crops, taking prisoners, destroying property. I mean, this is this is where the rubber meets the road in, in the valleys here. Uh, you know, at any, any moment, you could be out plowing your field and, you know, a bunch of Tories and Indians would take you and you'd have to find your way on, on, the, on, the, on the road to, to Canada as a captive. And the second thing, it, it was a civil war. You know, people don't understand that, but actually it was a civil war. This was family against family, brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, uh, depending on which side... Uh, you support it. Uh, so it was a civil war. And the last thing is the loyalists. Um, you know, there's some estimates that up to a third of the population of the valley, you know, they supported the loyalists and they got on the road and they, and they left. So there's a, there's a mass exodus of the population that supported the, the loyalists and they, they departed to Canada uh, based on their, based on their beliefs, sir. So that's that was the impact of the revolution here in the Valley, sir. We hear this term a lot, especially in recent scholarship, but on the ground level, what did it mean to be a loyalist in New York during this time? <laughs> it means you support the, you support the crown. You know, he, most people in the Valley thought the crown would, was doing well. Uh, they supported the king, and they didn't see any reason to change that. Uh so it was kind of a hard decision uh, to, to support the loyalist cause. Um, like I said, maybe a third of the population were, were loyalists who got on the road and, and departed the, the, va- the valley. And that was, a, that was a hard decision, to stay or to go. Uh, to go, you know, you know, there was no bus to get on. There was no car to drive, you know, you maybe had a little cart and then you trans you traveled across the wilderness on the way to Canada, you know, not knowing what's on the other end. Or if you stayed and you stayed, you were probably harassed by your neighbors and maybe even arrested uh, for being a loyalist and your property confiscated uh, for being a loyalist. So staying, you know, Sometimes the loyalists, you know, they didn't have the money to travel, or, so they had to stay. So it was an economic decision to stay. But, you know, those are the decisions that uh, the loyalists faced uh, to support the ground, sir. Your article begins with the Otto brothers fighting for the Patriot side. Could you give us some history of what they did there? Um, as early as... Um, 1774, there was a committee of safety formed in Schoharie, and it was declared that every male uh, over the age 16 had to serve in the militia uh, to defend the valley. So their their service started as early as 1777. They were enrolled as privates in the 15th Regiment of the Albany County Militia, and uh, they served. They, they, they were on the muster roll from 1777 
as late as 1781. They served up to six months a year in the militia, and they were they were called out as needed. You know, if there's a, a an alarm or if there was a raid coming through, there'd be a call, and and they would answer that call. Uh, most of the time, they served in the and as basically garrison duty in one of the three forts that were built in Schoharie, the upper, lower, and the middle fort. And that's where they 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 did did their service as militiamen, sir. Pretty amazingly, they're going to mid-war switch over to the loyalist side, fighting for the British cause. Uh, what was that like? You know, I think there's a couple of theories on on how this may have transpired. Um, in my mind... It, it might have depended on the, on the fortunes of the war. You know, if, if one side is doing well, you know, maybe they they support that cause. Uh, 1777 was kind of a bad year in Schoharie. You know, the British were coming down from Canada with his Burgoyne army. There's an army coming west uh, from St. Ledger. Um, and then there was a big uprising, in fact, in Schoharie itself. There was a a large loyalist invasion of the Schoharie Valley. So maybe in 1777, you know, they, these Otto brothers may have considered that the loyalist side looked better and they, they switched sides then. But I think, I think more realistically is they were probably loyalists all along and, and they couldn't or did not want to leave Schoharie. So they, joined the militia as part of their obligation, but uh, I probably their heart probably belonged on the loyalist cause all along. Uh, they, they could have acted as spies, maybe. Uh, they'd given information on the American troops' strengths and movements, and they passed that along to their loyalist friends, who passed that along to the British uh, in Canada. So, so they may have been spies in, in that regard as well. Uh, Gottlieb, yeah, he, he, he's on the muster roll of Butler's Rangers, you know, the Loyalist uh, Ranger Regiment. Uh, he's, on, he's on that muster roll as early as 1777, and then he's on the muster roll when the Butler's disbanded after the war in 1783 at Niagara. So Gottlieb is definitely uh, on the Butler's Rangers. Uh, Francis, uh, he's, he's probably more uh, on the spy uh, network. But that's, 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 that's what we can document in terms of the Otto brothers for their loyalist support, sir. Did you find any information in your research regarding how this switchover, this switching of sides, affected their relationships at home? Well, there's, there's, there's a story uh, that's passed down to the Otto family that uh, the loyalists were harassed almost constantly for their support uh, by their neighbors, their, their rebel neighbors during the war. And, and it continued after the war. I mean, even if you were considered a, 
loyalist after the war and you stayed in the valley, you couldn't move, you stayed in the valley, you know, there's, there's many cases where the, your neighbors uh, still held that grudge against you for your support for the loyalist cause. And that, there's, there's many examples of, uh, of that, those feelings carrying over well after the war, sir. Pretty amazingly, uh, <laughs> when the war is over, the Otto brothers will apply for pensions for both the British side and the Patriot side, having fought for both. Uh, talk about that strange scenario. How did that happen? Yeah, that's really what drew me to this, the Otto brothers. You know, it, it, maybe in today's, today's, today's technology, you couldn't do this, but you know, way back then, before the computer age, you know, maybe maybe they were able to get conversation from both sides. I'm not sure, but uh, the Atos they stayed in Schaharie after the war, uh, but finally they they decided to head north. Uh, 1793, they start selling off their land and their property, and they they take that voyage, uh, that journey uh, to Canada. And they apply for compensation as loyalists. They they appear in front of the loyalist claims board that the British government had set up in Canada uh, to compensate the loyalists who either lost property, uh, you know, like in the scary Mohawk valleys, or who had served uh, the loyalist cause in one of these loyalist regiments. Um, Gottlieb and Francis applied to these boards. Uh, Gottlieb, in fact, he's accepted as, as as a member of the United Empire Loyalists. He's put on that list, uh, the the UEL list. It's kind of a prestigious list, almost like the DAR is for us, for the Loyalists. The, the UEL list has privileges and honors as as a Loyalist, and, and Gottlieb is accepted as a loyalist. Uh, Gallup dies in Canada in 1804, and he's buried in Ontario. Francis, on the other hand, uh, I don't know, for some reason, he moves back to the U.S. maybe around 1830. He moves to Ohio, and and he applies for a pension, in fact, uh, for his service as a militiaman on, on the rebel cause, you know, I, that was kind of amazing to me. He, he has land in Canada as a loyalist, and then he moves back to the U.S. and applies for a pension, and his pension is, is accepted, in fact. 1844, he starts drawing $20 a year as a, as a, as a militiaman for his service in the American Revolution. So that, that was kind of amazing for me to, to find that, that that Francis is compensated as a loyalist and compensated as a, as a rebel uh, for his service on the American side, sir. In your opinion, Mark, how does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better? You know, I think, I think the thing that I found most interesting was, you know, the Civil War aspect of it. Uh, there's not a lot of work done documenting the, the loyalist point of view, and, and in fact, this was a uh, you know family versus family thing. Uh, 
neighbor versus neighbor thing. Uh, and that's what really uh, interested me the most, you know, the hardship that these loyalists endured if they stayed, and then the, the hardship they endured uh, going north, and the uncertainties and the new life they have to encounter once they get to Canada. But so that that was a point that I, I was trying to make in the article, just that loyalist point of view and the hardship they endured, sir. Mark Sullivan, thank you for joining us. Well, again, thank you very much for having me, sir. Uh, I, I find it a, a great honor that, uh, that the journal uh, accepted my article. It's, it's, it's a great organization. I, I read their articles every time they come out, and it's been a great privilege for me to be part of it, sir. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.